What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on The Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. What's good, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is Kirsten Hytopoulos. How are you this morning? Good. It's good to have you here. I've only talked to you casually, so I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little deeper here. Um, Kirsten is a divorce attorney and also councilwoman and former mayor of the beautiful Bainbridge Island. Um, Why are you such a Glutton for punishment. Those those <laughs> realms look, seem scary to me. Like divorce is like the scariest thing in the world, and then uh, political service is right up there as well. Well, that, that's a great setup. It's the setup I always get for my for my legal um, practice. Is that it, among lawyers as well? People say you're a divorce lawyer. Oh my God, who does that? Nobody would do that. It's the worst area of the law. But I'm a collaborative divorce attorney and mediator. And it's just a completely different thing than people think from TV. I don't go to trial. I help people work things out outside of court um, in a humane and private manner. Um, Like arbitration or mediation? Well, well, I do mediate too. I offer that. But the best thing I offer is something called collaborative divorce. And it's a method that's used in like 29 countries around the world, regardless of the legal system. And it's basically two lawyers and the two clients sitting down with sometimes with outside professional support, like mental health um, experts and financial experts. And we work through the issues of the divorce as a team. So it's, it's very rewarding work, actually. Counsel, on the other hand. Can you get that mic a little closer to you? Sure. <laughs> counsel, counsel, work on counsel, as everybody knows, it's, it's hard work, but it's worth it because I really do care about the community. And I think we have really difficult issues, more so now than ever, to deal with. Well, we'll get into that a little bit here in a moment, but I want to focus a little bit on this practice of collaborating. Like, you would think if somebody could collaborate like that, sit down in a room, they they could figure out their marriage as well. Why does that work? Yeah, it's not quite like that. It's kind of like why mediation works. So mediation, you don't have to like the other person. You don't have to get along with the other person. It's as long as you show up in good faith and you really do want to avoid court, protect your children. 
<clears throat> um, then p- anyone can do this. It's a fraction of people getting divorced. I mean, if people want to use a divorce process to destroy each other, they can't do it. But people can do it even when there's been infidelity, um, even when there's some substance abuse, mental health issues. Um, if they can come to the table, the trained collaborative team is able to help them stay at that table together and work through the issues. So besides marriage, what is the leading cause of divorce? <laughs> well, actually, communication is a problem in almost every case, which is why it mm. is amazing that we can do this kind of work. Communication and money really are the two biggest things that we see. They may be disguised as other things, but that's often the case, one or the other. Yeah, I think the majority of people I know and, and myself struggle with in those two departments to keep, um, what do you call it, um, communication, that we assume goodwill at all, all times, that we hear each other and that we listen and that we're present and that we don't go, you know, gambling and right. all that other stuff with the communal money. It's hard work. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Um, and I actually meant marriage is hard work. My work's kind of hard oh. too. <laughs> um, but no, I've been doing this since I got divorced basically. So before Did you get divorced and say, Hey, this is fun. Let's do it all, every day. It was something like that. So I had no it, way I wasn't working outside the home at the time I got divorced. Um, while I was in my first year, first few months of counsel, um, the first term I, I served. And, um, the last thing I'd done was being a criminal prosecutor. And so I was going to have to figure out a a return to some sort of career and going through divorce made me realize this is an area of law that almost, you know, that more people basically touch than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be involved in doing it well. Did you feel it was underserved? Yeah, I, I feel like there aren't enough people doing this kind of work. There aren't enough mediation options. And when I learned about collaborative divorce, I just thought this is amazing. So I wanted to be part of it. Coming from that side, what kind of, uh, tips or hints would you give people to avoid divorce? Well, I think you were right on track. And of course, I'm not a mental health professional, but keeping lines of communication open, obviously. And like you said, assuming good faith, that sort of thing. Not saying things you can't take back. Um, see, Obviously seeking mental health support. Um, mm-hmm. That therapy and such. Yeah. But if I, but if I knew the secret, I would probably wouldn't be divorced myself. So... I might not be the best person to ask. Yeah. I guess translate that to soccer too. Like uh, if everybody could score goals, everybody would be doing it, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So you, when was your, your first term in early 2000? 2010. I ran in 2009 right after the, um, oh, let's see. I ran in, <laughs> wait, it was in the 2000. A while back. Let's yeah, just say a while say, back. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute, 2010, 2013, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So. And that was after um, the city had the city manager structure in place and yeah, such? Yeah, right. On the heels of that. Exactly. And what made Bainbridge do that? Well, and I was actually involved in that campaign. Um, a, a number of things. The, 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 I think the main issue was the community felt like our priorities were not the priorities of the city. And there was not, there was not an open dialogue on land use in particular. There was a lot of, of, of the issues we're coalescing about around um, plans for downtown, Winslow Way, and beyond. Um, and so a lot of people came together on that. There was also concerns about the financial stability of the city. We were running in the red regularly, um, kind of barely making it to our tax disbursements from the county and then running in the red again. So it was a combination of fiscal responsibility and um, a failure, a, well, a communication breakdown between the community and the city, I would say. 
Mm-hmm. That's a similar problem to what the school district has. You know, they seem to be running in the red every single year and asking for that red envelope. Right. And I wonder if they named it that because... <laughs> the city doesn't have a red envelope, so it's a, yeah. it's even harder when things aren't going well financially for the city. Well, it's tough, too, on homeowners. With it, uh, affordable housing is something that I'd like to talk about, but I see the, my taxes going up and up and up, and then, you know, my house started appreciating greatly, and then... After COVID, it went back down, but my taxes are still that high. And I feel for the people that are not in a situation where they're continuing to work, like the retired yeah. people that have worked so hard to get their place, paid it off, done their time, and now they're getting taxed you know, up the wazoo. Yeah. And the, those taxes seem to pay, pay for a lot of the things that was going on with the city, but it'd be nice if we could figure out ways to draw income for both the school and the city without property tax. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of people that don't own, own yeah. property too. Well, the city's portion of the property tax and don't ask me the percentage cause I don't know it at the moment, but is well, actually you, pretty small. Yeah. If you look at the pie, we have a very small piece. Like, you know, the school district, fire district, um, the County is, we are, a sliver of that. So not to say that you don't have a very important point, and I feel the same way about my property values, and I see all the time in working with divorcing clients, like what I'm dealing with a lot of it is a lot of the time is their finances and looking at their budgets and how are they going to make this work in two households. And it is pretty disturbing how often the property taxes are at least as high as the mortgage payment. And, if, you know, wow, the mortgage payment's really tenable, but that property uh, tax is not. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. I have it worked into my mortgage. Well, I will tell you that years ago, it's probably been 11, 12 years, I contested my assessment successfully. And I just think we're mm-hmm. at a time when we all may need to try to do that because of the volatility. Rub a little dirt on the door, front door, and say, this place <laughs> is a shack. <laughs> Take it down. Yeah. Hey, um, you and I have gone through a tough little spell with the Bethany Lutheran Project mm-hmm. about um, affordable housing, um, church property, zoning. You were one of two people that voted against this because mm-hmm. that pilot program seemed to go citywide and not necessarily mm-hmm. just one area. Mm-hmm. My hang up a little bit was arbitrarily moving zones. Like there was a zone for commercial. And then we just said, oh, we're just going to hop it across the street. And uh, I don't quite understand how there's laws on the books, but then if enough people are interested, they change it on the fly. Mm -hmm. Am I getting this wrong in in any fashion? No. Well, first of all, I don't know if there's a wrong because we're all entitled to have different feelings about, you know, where we should make exceptions and not. And there's nuances that or maybe nuances to one person and critical differences to the other people. So for me, I had gotten to a point where I would have, I would have voted yes if the council hadn't extended this across the entire island. And that was unnecessary. And I was advocating mm-hmm. really strongly for a Bethany only pilot project there. Generally speaking, and so, and I think that the supporters of Bethany, the Bethany, um, church folks know that I do support the project at this point, but I don't support that ordinance. And if I'm back on council next term, 
I will do what I can to prioritize going back in and undoing that. Um, the council was saying at the time, oh, well, basically we'll fix that later. Don't worry. There's plenty of time to undo that or refine that. And that is not wise decision making as far as I'm no, concerned. Who came with that attitude? It's, I, I think people were so afraid and I shouldn't you know, speak for others and maybe you'll have others on soon. Um, hey, you're welcome. Others. <laughs> Come on. But um, I think people were afraid to acknowledge that pointedly that this was an exception for this one property to have a pilot project that was authorized, in fact, asked for, required under state law, uh, state law that had come in a couple of years previously that said if religious properties wanted more density than they can get under your affordable housing pro um, pro code, we had to provide that in some way. So we needed to do something, and I was okay with doing it there. I really thought it should be either if it's going to be that dense, it should be all rentals or and or for a lower income level than we were being told it would probably be for. But at the end of the day, it's affordable housing. It's 100% affordable housing, which is really hard to get. Um, but I think people were afraid to say, you know, to say this is a project on one site. And so they diffuse it across the island. And I think that was irresponsible because every site is going to be different. And a church way up on the north end, like you know, well, I won't call out any names, but there's there's different circumstances. And I'm actually an advocate for making it sort of a conditional use process where you look at the site-specific situation, say, how many units can this property take in this area? I think that would have been more responsible. So if I have a, have a house in a commercially zoned area, could I come up with uh, Charlie Manson religion number two and build a bunch of buildings and have people come in? No, there's so it's 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 a little bit hard for people, I think, to go into the ordinance and not see more clarity about the definition of what is a religious organization under the code. But if you look um, in the Washington State Code, there's other areas that define that, and it would be hard pressed to say that your own cult would satisfy that. I can't remember the, off the top of my head the language, but it's it's basically established and recognized, and you know there's there's language in there that would you wouldn't be able to just come up with your own religion on the spot. But established religions, whether it be Muslim, Catholic, whatever, mm -hmm. they could they could do so. Yeah. And I think the philosophy is that there are very few organizations or institutions that are going to be willing to basically take a loss or have to figure out how to make up for a loss to sell or rent, I hope, at some point, um, properties below market. I have um, – well, Ben Dines is on tomorrow's podcast, which will be out by the time you hear this. Um, and he works for the planning commission and now I forgot what I was going to say about him. <laughs> um, anyway, great guest. Check yeah, that podcast out so as good. well. <laughs> um, I, I know what he, he said to me, which really radiated about Bethany Lutheran and made me change a little bit was like, if there was a fire hydrant across the street and it was only for that community, but the house across the street was on fire, say Bethany Lutheran, would you not give water to that? Right. Yeah. And we need affordable housing and maybe it's not ideal, but do we push through this and, and get over this, the hump and go through the stumbling along until we can really 
make a better situation out of it. Yeah. And we're probably, I think we all know the entire country is trying to solve this um, and not having a lot of luck. So I don't think we're ever going to have a solution. It's going to be pieces here, pieces there. Hopefully the city builds some, <clears throat> hopefully a couple of religious organizations do this, you know, hopefully the state sometimes gives us some more money to do these things. We have very few tools to be able to overcome the cost of building and land and ever to come up with the capacity that we need. Well, we're doing good in absorbing growth, I think, on this island. Um, where we're lacking is a clear pathway to help affordable housing. We have the lead and the green and you know zero emissions and ideas like that. Um, but we rarely combine them with a lower price tag. Well, the problem is, is that unless somebody, again, if it's an, a religious organization or a public entity is willing to subsidize it, if we're talking about really affordable housing and it really even housing that I would have thought wasn't really affordable housing a few years ago, but I'm really starting to recognize the, how many income strata we need to house that we can't here on the island. If somebody can't work, um, you know, in a salon or a restaurant or a store or as, you know, in a medical office, as, if they can't live here, we have a problem. And we're not going to ever be able to house everybody, but when we're trying to solve the problem, I think we're trying to solve for a, a, a pretty wide range of strata. We're definitely not going to have housing for people in the lower income strata unless it's just simply built by by governmental entities or a religious institution at this point. So I'm not sure what else we can do. The state is kind of Oh, recklessly and generically lashing out through legislation to say, okay, well, we think the solution is middle housing. So if we just require all of the cities to allow for multi, you know, multifamily, smaller multifamily, like duplex to quadplexes and so forth on all lots, that's going to be a solution. And the problem is that in places like Bainbridge Island, that's just going to mean slightly lower market rate units because there's no requirement for affordability attached to it. It is just mm. simply a rezone from above to us. So you can make a duplex, but you don't necessarily have to make it any cheaper. Not at all. So if you, so, you know, when I thought when this was first coming out, um, you think about a, a place where a house would typically, like say a single family house would go for $2 million and you knock it down and you, are you going to build three $1 million houses? Nothing stops you from doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that in itself is a problem. This legislation isn't going to produce affordable housing. It might produce slightly less expensive units, but when you start from where we're starting from, that's not, that's, that's not even helping people. Well, how do yeah. we write it into law or code or whatever? How do we get that conversation started? This is what I want to understand from the, whether this, so the state has not authorized us to require affordable housing anywhere. So we have the option of something called inclusionary, mandatory inclusionary zoning that we can take advantage of only when we give a new right to a, to a landowner. So we can't say, well, you already have this piece of property and it's zoned to allow you to put 10 units in, but we're going to, before we, you know, grant your permits, we're going to require you to put two units in there affordable. We cannot do that. If we said we're going to upzone you so you can build 20, but 30% of them, you know, there's a limit, but some percentage of them must be this level of affordability that we are allowed to do. And there will be discussion of that in, Wins in the Winslow sub-area planning update. I'm not clear if this, the state would have to authorize us to do that. I would like to figure out whether the state could be passing laws like that, allowing us to do that instead of Does this. it have to be a state law? Can it not be a city law? We, it, it's It's – 
we're not off. A city only has the powers that it's granted. And we, the state law tells us what we can do for inclusionary zoning. We cannot mandate inclusion or mandate affordable housing. That's why we have all these incentive programs and incentive programs rarely work as we've seen. Well, I just flash, I got an idea yeah. uh, about an incentive bonus. Like if you were to build a carbon neutral green building, you could get density bonus if you, you know, made really good homes in that. But the density bonus only applied to affordable housing. So then you could put two extra units on your property that, that you're not zoned for, but they have to be affordable. So you would make income above what your project right. started with. We do have incentives like that, like in the housing design demonstration project ordinance, HDDP. Excuse me. And then in, in 1821, that one does that section of our code doesn't refer to green building, but we have tried things like that. And we do do that so that you can, you know, there's a combination of affordability and green building, et cetera. The problem is that people either when, when they're really aimed to produce a real amount of real affordable housing, nobody's taken advantage of them. And in the past, and I don't think this is going to be happening anymore, I hope, because I think we've tightened things up in the past, people took advantage of 1821 in particular, and we wound up getting, you know, built, units never built or units being affordable only for the first owner. So we have had failures in the past with that. Yeah. Uh, take Grow Community for an example. It seems like there was an idea that all this military housing was going to get bulldoze down and they were going to make carbon neutral green lead buildings and have X amount of affordable housing. But then they accomplished so much of the project and then scrapped the last part and didn't have any affordable housing. Yep. But they got the go ahead under the guise that they were going to do so. And I, and I wasn't around when Northtown woods had something similar and you probably were, you know, why isn't that penalized? Well, the problem with Northtown Woods, and that, that was that was built and authorized well before I was on council, but that was an example of under the old code that had affordability only for one owner, which is ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that's what it fell under. And so until this council I'm sitting on right now, well, not this particular council, the first two years of this term of mine, um, we actually went in and we at least put a Band-Aid on 1821, that's again a code section, to at least require 99-year um, or in or inf or um, in perpetuity, I'm trying to remember, um, affordability for for-sale houses. And then I think we upped, um, I'm going to get it wrong, but say we upped rental affordability from 30 to 50 or 75. What We tried to at least put a Band-Aid on those pending our as creating better legislation. So at least there's something there, but if some, which people just don't take advantage of, but if they did take advantage of it, we wouldn't have the house, you know, like have the second owner be purchasing at market rate, which defeats of course the entire purpose for giving additional density. That's why the community is pretty sour um, over the way affordable housing has been done historically here. Yeah. And it's like pay, paying attention now as opposed to, previously i think has put us in a hole as well we we really need to participate and have a squeaky wheel that gets the oil and and be loud and proud and come out i mean ben was telling me that 
zero people came on Zoom and zero people came to the planning commission meeting last week. So there was just zero community response to anything. So it behooves us to get mm-hmm. in there and, and make our wishes known. And I feel like a lot of complaining on this island comes like you're not doing what the community wants. But on the other hand, the community is not coming out in droves and saying what they want and being organized themselves. It's not easy to be a council person or a person on the planning commission, especially planning commission where there's volunteer work and that they're doing so much for the community and yet they don't get the input from the people that it affects. Um, How can we do a better job of of getting people involved? That is a, that is a perennial problem. And I think that, um, the COVID pandemic made it worse. I mean, just societally yeah. where people are emotionally, um, hair trigger tempers everywhere, can, you know, fear. And you get that warrior yeah. stuff behind the keyboard and zoom, yeah. you know, you can put, put up your picture of whatever. Well, and worse, it's not happening. Like it's not happening in a zoom with the community at a planning commission meeting or at a city council meeting or some kind of, or a town hall or whatever. It's happening on social media where one person starts with a piece of misinformation. Everybody piles on. And before you know it, you have 200 comments that are, that started with a piece of misinformation. Mm-hmm. It's like Un- telephone. It keeps getting exaggerated and yeah. changed. Unfortunately, city council people can't get on there and engage directly. Like say on Bainbridge Islanders on Facebook, because that creates a public record and we're not supposed to do that outside of the pub where the public records can be kept. So it's frustrating. Um, you know, we have Kobe connects and, you know, these sorts of things, but we've got to find other ways to bring people to the table. But and I just don't know if people want to spend their precious you know, personal time engaging. Well, then they're per- spending their personal time engaging in negativity. So yes. why don't you step up and come to the table or the diocese and, and let your feelings be known? Yeah. Kobe connects is a flyer that the city of Bainbridge Island puts out what once a month. On a good month. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we were talking before on air that, you know, the website has a, a, a tab for press releases, and there's only five, and they're years old. Um, we, as a, a community and we as a council, need to have the connectivity. Kobe connects, but we need to connect, connect. I think Bainbridge Island um, Chamber of Commerce is doing a great job in summarizing and sending out weekly um, newsletters and such about what's going on in the city, and that that's helping a lot. But I really think the onus is on the, the city to say, hey, you know, this is the plan. Let's come together. We want to hear your voices. It's got to be more than just a sign on a piece of land that says community meeting 7 o'clock next Tuesday up for this land proposal. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't even know where that, when and where those things happen. But, you know, being a parent, and I'm sure there's a lot of parents, this is a very family-friendly island, you got all these extracurriculars with your kids. You know, and if you have multiples, good luck getting two, three hours to go to a city council meeting. Um, yep. Or even getting back from work because the public comment section is right at the beginning. So if somebody works in Seattle, gets on a ferry and comes there, for what a six o'clock meeting seven mm-hmm. six o'clock six o'clock if you're later than six thirty it's over you know for you you don't have that voice you can't proxy in 
Well, um, you know, when I was on city council before, we actually went in the in the direction you're talking about, and s- subsequent councils changed that. So we went to um, seven o'clock, I believe it was, but we we went later. Um, we moved our committee meetings out of the daytime into committees of the whole in evening meetings. That's mm-hmm. what those study sessions are, for the exact reason you're talking about. The reality is, is that people who commute can't get back in time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, we are we have drifted in the direction of a council geared towards people who are just on the island and available. And I think that is a problem. Now, Cole Medina used to be the mayor, and he used to run a pretty tight um, city council meeting, I thought. But with that said, sometimes it would go till midnight. Mm-hmm. Even with his great job of directing people, it is not that late any longer. It seems to be done yeah. before nine all yeah. the time now. Yeah. What changed? I think what changed is, is our new city manager is very skilled at this. Um, he's, you know, he seems to be very wise about what can really be tackled in a meeting. I, just this past, the past meeting, so last week, I couldn't believe, we never thought we'd be done by nine ten. That's where we were scheduled to. And we had some extensive conversations here and there. We had plenty of public comment and we were done at nine ten. <laughs> now it's not always that exact, but I think it has a lot to do with that. Um, we may have gone a little too far the other direction. We're not meeting the first uh, Tuesday of the, of the month. Um, I think the city manager would prefer we had just two business meetings a, um, a month um, and we still have, but we still have our, when we do, we have two business meetings, but not have, we had two business meetings and two study sessions for, for years. And I think he'd like to see us at two meetings a month. I don't think that that's possible in this community with the level of engagement and issues that we have. So we're right now generally one study session and two business meetings. Do you think the community is really that involved? Certain members of the community are who I think represent certain voices. Um, I wish more of the community was involved, but I guess what I mean is that I think we have so many different issues and we aren't, this is never going to be, I've never seen a city council that completely phoned it in, you know, that acted like a board that just did whatever the city manager said. Um, we are engaged and care about the issues and we're trying to solve difficult issues and just being an, an all Island rural city has so many complications that we're never probably going to be a city that could have just two business meetings a month and that would be good. So as we were saying earlier, we do need more city uh, community engagement after COVID the council chambers are practically empty. Most of the time they may Mm -hmm. be briefly full, but they're not overflowing. Um, It's very different from when I was on council before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I've been to one meeting with my son because I wanted to take him to the experience um, since COVID, you know, and uh, I've dropped out as well, but in the sense that it, I'm in Tacoma every time you guys have a meeting yeah. and it's hard to get there, get back here. But I, I don't think I've dropped out on this podcast. I'm still interested in what's going on and trying to find out, you know, what direction we're going in. With that said, where do you see, downtown's winslow 10 years from now what does that look like well i think it's going to be denser that's for sure i think that hopefully what that density is is affordable housing and not a bunch of market rate housing um i really hope that we're able to preserve winslow way as as our special center our special you have that you maintain the down the small town feeling it has so that Mm -hmm. we don't come into winslow 
and feel like we're, you know, in Bellevue. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's a good comparison. Um, but it, it's gotta be denser. If it's not denser, it's, it, the, we're going to be growing out into the rural areas that we don't want. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to try to keep the density in town, which is one of the reasons that the legislation that's come down is so bad. It's trying to force us to put density in all ends of our island in places where we don't have sewer capacity. We don't even have the ability to build it or to, to zone for it. And we're being told we have to figure that out. We have to figure out the fact that we don't have, you can't put multifamily housing on septics. If that's a sewer plant, that's a hundreds of millions of dollars unfunded mandate. So we're really facing some difficult issues coming up. The state put a $51 million bridge over a creek. Uh, you guys voted for, some people voted for a $14 million bridge going to nowhere. Uh, I wasn't there, but yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, how do you feel about the STO trail and development, especially now that we're having the culvert redone yeah. and how's that look going across the bridge? Well, I've always thought it was a great idea. So I don't know. I, I think it's a really neat idea to think about people being able to get on bikes and get on a ferry and leave their cars behind and go all the way to the Olympics. All the way. I think it's amazing. And I, I, and I, proud that we're part of it. I mean, obviously the state has to do a lot of lifting, but mm -hmm. I'm happy to help facilitate it in a way that, that, that still um, respects our local needs as well. But I do want to see it succeed. Is there any conflict with the scenic byway that's been grandfathered in there? Well, I mean, if you know, at the end of the day, that, that's the state scenic byway, byway. So they're the ones that would be regulating that. I think that all we can do is advocate for ourselves, you know, our community and our needs specifically along the way. Um, but, you know, the roundabouts, all those things within the state right away. Can we get more states. roundabouts? People love roundabouts on this <laughs> island. It's funny because they seem to be the solution to every road everywhere nowadays. It's interesting. I mean, there are cities that you wouldn't think of, um, like I think it's Carmel, Indiana, has dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And people like them once they're in and they're really moving the traffic. I saw some lady um, do her best Evil Knievel impression on the Madison roundabout the other day. <laughs> I've seen some interesting things. I will say, as someone from the South End who's been here for over 20 years, I'm very happy to not be stopping at that, at that spell. You know, that's my entry point from the South end to downtown. And mm -hmm. I'm happy to not be stopping. You know, if we put a full size roundabout in, we wouldn't be preserving the historic home on the corner and it would be very different. So it's well, kind of the, a compromise. The freight trucks couldn't get down that road to all the restaurants and stores and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why we have a short roundabout, you know, not tall. Be nice if there was some like bright glowing paint, so people that yeah. have depth perception problems <laughs> in their old age could see it, right. or you know maybe a tree in the middle of it or well, whatever. It's gentle. This is a gentle slope. Oh, it's I like I like the crosswalk improvements where where the poles have been illuminated and the flashing lights and stuff. And there's a little stick figure between the two lanes at the high school crosswalk, mm -hmm. and it says "Stop for me, it's the law." And uh, my son and his buddies um, count how many times that sign gets 
smashed. Ran over, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. uh, they're up to like 36 for the year. Right. Oh, wow. And uh, that's right by my house, too. Mm-hmm. So I will go use that crosswalk and people will fly. And I'll just Ugh. be like, what are you doing? The lights are flashing. Yeah. It's illuminated. There's a little stick figure between the lanes. Yeah. A high school on the side of you and a, a, a pediatrics small kid doctor office right. on the other side. Right. And you go blazing through there. And a few people have been hit in crosswalks here. And just, we have lowered the speed. We have improved the crosswalks. And people are still dumb as hell. What the hell? (laughs) Um, How do you see the sustainable um, transportation plan coming together? Uh, I think electrifying the ferry and the kids have buses is a huge project. Mm -hmm. Um, Putting in charging stations. We have electric vehicle expo coming up here this this month, and I've been talking a lot about EV and learning a lot about cobalt and lithium and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I feel like, in some ways, I'm I'm trapped. Am I in a situation where I'm just exchanging one evil for another because there doesn't seem to be enough mineral resources to do the United States plan, let alone the Bainbridge plan, mm-hmm. and then the, the it's like conflict diamonds. It's conflict minerals from Congo, child labor that's bought by China, and then we buy it from China, and we're supposed to not be getting along with China. We're just perpetuating it in the dark in a lot of ways. So we have this huge plan to put in these charging stations for cars. Some of them run up to $100,000. You know, we're operating off a, a bit of a dirty city grid considered mm-hmm. by... Some, you know, 70% of it off coal from Puget mm-hmm. Sound Energy. We seem to be teaming up with Puget Sound Energy, energy for a lot of things, i.e. the waste treatment plan. Um, that's, you know, $700,000 going into the improvements there, which we need. And we can't continue to have faults in that and have that stuff leak into the Puget Sound and such. How do you see the transportation plan where do we fall you know um i'm really conflicted i have my personal opinion but being a bystander i'm fly on the wall yeah i'm gonna listen to your stand <laughs> try to be as neutral well, as that possible. was a lot that was a lot to respond to and i guess i would say first of all my you know what really rings true for me is that whether it's whether it's transportation whether it's um you know the the waste reduction ordinance whether it's all sorts of things in your choice and whether to do an electric car or keep keep using a um, gas engine there just aren't perfect answers we're all struggling i think to do the best we can I and mean, we have different opinions about which well my my way i'm doing this way this is the right way here and then someone else has a different way i think we could all we can each do is just do the best we can and we are trading oftentimes one evil for another evil so you know i'm a i've been driving an electric car for over 10 years and um I'm thrilled to have nothing to do with gasoline mm-hmm. unless I'm taking a trip with my one other car that I rarely use. I took my electric bike here today. Isn't it, doesn't it feel nice? I mean, it, it feels good to, to be doing that. And I pay for green power. Then I hear, well, well, that's not, you know, that's not really coming from green power. Of course, that's just providing the opportunity for green power. You know, we could say, I'm not going to recycle because I know that a lot of that's going in the trash because of, of, you know, they're not being a receiver for it because of contaminated waste streams. Yeah. I've, so I Recycling's guess. Recycling is bullshit. <laughs> I, the thing is, is that at the end of the day, I think 
first and foremost, we each need to just do everything we can do that was available to us and, and not give up because there is no perfect answer yet. I mean, there just isn't. There may never be. For our plan, um, you know, we're, I, you may have noticed we're kind of having some struggles on prioritization of where bike lanes should go and so forth, even though we have a plan for we're going to do these first. Mm-hmm. So I guess my concern is that we're already getting a little bit political in our decision-making about what we do. We paid for a sustainable transportation plan so that we would be able to we'd be professionalize our decision-making and say, all this work happened to say we're going to do one, two, three, four. You know, after we've performed a bit on this, we're going to go to the community and say, are you up for funding some of this? Are we doing a good job? And I'm concerned that we're starting to kind of, you know make local political decisions instead. Well, yeah, you're in politics. You're a politician, (laughs) and you pay for these consults and such as the city of Bainbridge Island. Mm -hmm. Then you also rubber stamp yes or no. So you really are making the decision ultimately. Well, I don't think we do rubber. I wish we did rubber stamp. I'd rather we rubber stamp a professional product that we say this is good for, that this is a good product than to say we, we approve this product, but oh, when it comes down to making decisions on the ground, funding decisions and moving forward with things, then we start saying, oh, but maybe we'll do this instead. I, I, I want us to have a cohesive process, mm-hmm. you know, consistent. No backtracking. Yeah, and, and, and always have to allow for there to be a surprise that tells us maybe we were wrong. We need to pivot. I mean, we're doing that right now on the waste reduction ordinance. We always need to be open to pivoting. But generally speaking, if we're doing a good job, we should be moving down the road according to the path that we set. That's that's important to me, and I think we need that for, for to be trusted by the public. Let's get to why I think recycling is bullshit around here. <laughs> um, there's, I think it's a... Ridwell or Ridgewell? Ridwell. Ridwell. Cool company that uh, takes recycling to a whole nother level. We have zero waste and zero wasters who are going through the trash can for every public event, separating compost and recyclables and landfill stuff. My thing is, unless you wash and dry your recyclables, they don't get recycled. It's just mm-hmm. too much of a process for the recycling plant to do it. So I would say a large portion, I'm not going to put out a percentage because I have no idea, even though I don't fact check anyway, is going into landfill, even though we take the time to separate it. And then we have a recycling system where we put cardboard, aluminum, glass, everything in the same bucket. So then there's so many steps for the recycling plant to go through that stuff. We had a recent survey that said BI disposal is probably the thing the community has the most faith in. But then we're sending our trash clear across the state and having, you know, the 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 climate pledge is just blasted out of the water then because you you're taking hundreds of miles of garbage on a weekly basis if not a daily basis. To where Walla Walla or something like that. It's a way. It's a ways away. Yeah, I, I was talking to the city manager about that the other day, and I believe we don't. Even if we were to switch providers, that 
everybody's taking their waste to the same place. And it's, as I understand it, it's run by waste management. So one of the providers actually runs the, that receiving location, which is however far away it is, but hours away from here. And that, cause that was my concern. I was asking for that reason that what, now that we're getting this information back and analysis of, of what we have and what we might be able to do for waste, you know, reduction, just, right. Yeah. Waste management. Um, it's very concerning that we're paying, you know, we're contributing to climate change by driving it that far, having it driven that far. But yeah, we're paying extra money to do yeah. recycling when we could just throw it all in the trash can and it'd be one can and then it goes all to the same place. Yeah. Preferably somewhere closer. I think, I think we don't have it on good authority that certain things aren't regularly being recycled. So I think that it depends on the good item. luck getting into a recycling plant yeah. for a tour. I bet. I've yeah. tried many a time to have recycling companies come on and they all decline all yeah. the time. Yeah. They, you don't want to see what's behind the drapes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I think I think there's different pieces of this equation. Part of it is our our how we live our lives, and how to. And part of it is what happens at the other end. And we and I, I hope we get to the point where it's all continuously better, and it's and it's real. I'm never putting an aluminum can in the trash ever because of what it takes to get raw aluminum. You know, so I I can make a decision on my end to continue to even if I'm just going through the motions of recycling. I think that's who I am as a person and I'll do anything I can as a city council person to ensure we have the best waste stream we can, but there are limits out there we can't control like whether China's taking our recyclables anymore or whether people throw not only dirty recycling in, but things that anybody should know are not recyclable. There's actual cities floating in the ocean of trash Yeah, Yeah. that have their own ecosystem that is destroying other ecosystems. It's horrible. Yeah. And, uh, China, China, China. (laughs) Um, It seems to come to my eyes that, you know, we have these transportation modes and part of it was for people in wheelchairs, not motorized. And uh, what I see a problem with that is there's a sandwich sign on every sidewalk. Yep. So if you're in a wheelchair and you got to plow down 10 sandwich boards to just go down your regular sidewalk, that's an issue. Yes, know? it is. I see Marsha Cutting out there with the, the what, is it, what do you call it? It's on the train when they hit the cows. She's one of those on her wheelchair. Just <laughs> bah, 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 bah. Oh, right. <laughs> um, well, on, we're, we're, yeah, there's back. a timely comment because we are taking up our sign ordinance right now. Um, we've directed that. So we were, uh, we already have to make some cleanups to it just for constitutional consistency purposes or what have you. And we're going to take the opportunity to look at it again, look specifically at sandwich boards, among other things, sandwich board signs. They're a huge problem. We've heard a lot of complaints about them. They're both visual blight for everybody. And they're, of course, obstructions in the way of visual blight. Yes. That's a good word. Yes. You know, and then, yeah, people put up their little political signs that are not politics, whatever. Um, chain link fence by the school there, there's a million signs on that. You know, it's yep. it's not fitting in with the greenery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's passe. I mean, with vertical marketing, internet, and whether it be one of those scan codes you put on, with your phone or whatever, you know, there's there's ways to connect with people, you know, your Val pack mass emails, uh, word of mouth is something that I like to use all mm-hmm. the time. Um, 
being a podcaster. There's better ways of doing it. But if you do need a sandwich sign, go see Joe at Sound Reaper Graphics. Thank you for your sponsorship, Joe. <laughs> um, what else is going on that you that you're excited about on Kobe? Well, we're about we're about to start the well, we're sort of underway with a little bit of a start stop on the Winslow sub area plan, which is a whole other story. But we are moving underway with that, and then right into the comprehensive plan update. So those are huge planning and exercises. The and does one come before the other? And is the comprehensive plan overdue at this point? Comprehensive plan is not overdue. Um, the what happened with the the reason we have the ordering we have right now, where we're doing the Winslow sub area plan and then the comprehensive plan, which is arguably doesn't make a lot of sense because the Winslow sub area plan is basically an exhibit to it's a piece of the comprehensive plan. So. In my opinion, the best way to have done this would have been to do the comprehensive plan, figure out what we want from Winslow, and then focus down on Winslow. What happened is we have, we're have we long overdue to update the, the Winslow sub-area plan. And so it's basically been trailing behind, and how, now it's kind of – the way I keep visualizing it, it's kind of hit the back of the, the comp plan as the comp plan's walking in its proper place. Mm. So the fact is that right or wrong, that's how staff and, you know, whoever made the decisions um, to set the work plan that way, put the Winslow sub-area plan first. That's what we're doing. My feeling from the beginning has been it's critical that we don't say we're going to do the Winslow sub-area plan, you know, tie it up with a bow, put it on the shelf, and then move. We shouldn't put anything on the shelf, but put it to the side, move into the, into the comp plan and say, well, the sub-area plan's already done. Mm. We're necessarily going to have to be able to do a little back and forth to fine tune this. Otherwise, we're tying our own hands. What's the timeline look like? Well, originally, I think the sub area plan was going to hopefully be tied up, uh, you know, be finished up this year. And I think that everyone's agreed it's going to have to go a bit into next year. So I hope that some of these processes can can start to overlap if necessary. And we've created a steering committee to oversee both of them. Um, that's made up of three council members and three planning commissioners. Um, and so the idea being that these are, they should be somewhat fluid and will bleed into each other. So I'm going to be on that, um, steering committee. I'm really excited about that because I have very strong feelings about the comprehensive plan mm -hmm. and adhering to it. And as I've said on council more times than I wish recently, if you want to make major changes to, to zoning or planning, you need to, you need to amend the comp plan and not do a piecemeal. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, Transportation with bicycles. What, what are we doing for the not-so-safe roads and edges and shoulders that we have? Well, that's what I was alluding to when I was talking about the fact that we have a plan for the order in which we're going to do it and the network we want to build and the fact that we seem to be kind of veering a little bit away from that. Um, I think we need to take those projects in the order that they were planned so that we have – credibility with the community that when we pay a lot for a plan and we say, this is how we're going to get from A to B that we execute on that absent a really compelling reason otherwise. So at the moment, the pieces are being put together and hopefully will continue to be put together to really connect Winslow to Linwood center. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with the level of development that has been allowed to happen at, at uh, Linwood center and continue to happen, we really owe it to the community to get some some alternative transportation into there. Yeah, Linwood Center is really becoming a vibrant sub community out there. Um, when I got here, the the condos that were being built and the mixed retail had gone bankrupt, and it was just a shell of what was supposed to be a great project. And then Jacoby bought it and started up, 
um, actually house sitting up there right now above Salty Dog. Shout out to that them. Um, great little community and uh, well thought out homes. You know that are all densified, clustered, and close to the beach, and you know very active, vibrant community. But when I pedal my bike back to Winslow from there, uh, or if I want to go the back way to Bainbridge Gardens or something like that, that Fletcher Bay Road is horrible. As I come around the the turn and start going, heading up the hill, you know it's, it's scary. It's yeah. a little bit scary. It's very scary. I mean, that's the problem where we're having some conflict on councils in what what order we do projects is that the reality is, is that across the island, our roads are dangerous. And Mm -hmm. so. But we need one main road to connect the south end. Yeah. At least. Yes. And that's the point. I mean, we, now that we've allowed a proliferation of in rooms, et cetera, and all of that development down there, we're, we're telling people to come from around the island and even off the island all the way to our south end, which is very contradictory to the comprehensive plan vision for the island. And it's very contradictory to GMA goals, Growth Management Act goals, about avoiding sprawl, et cetera. You're supposed to have your density and services in the same place. So we really have a deficit more than ever <laughs> that but needs can, to be can't met. can't you have multiple density areas? like? You can. You can. We, we do. What we did is in our plan, we set it up so that we would have – originally, they were called neighborhood service centers. There, Island Center and Rolling Bay. And those are supposed to be was it be a focus on denser housing and then some services that were supposed to be – to discourage people from having to drive all over the island. Mm-hmm. So what's happened in – the developments really only happened in Linwood Center because that's the only place that has sewer. The other two are yeah. just on septic, so they're kind of stalled out. And so what's behind ex- Via Rosa, there's these yeah. huge septic tanks yeah. behind it sticking out of the ground even, <laughs> yeah. you know, it looks awkward. But what's happened is that, you know, at some point, the last complaint update, I think the neighborhood service center came out of the, of the word neighborhood service center. It's now just neighborhood centers. And honestly, I feel like we lost our way in Linwood Center. So I've, you know, we had originally determined that an inn should be a 15 room facility because that's mm-hmm. not the purpose of the neighborhood service centers. It's supposed to be housing, ideally affordable housing, because the only place we can put <laughs> dense housing. It ain't and affordable. Instead what we've done, we've wound up with a commercial center that attracts people from all over the island and off the island. And very little well, no affordable housing basically. The inn there, how many rooms does it have? You know, I got I gotta like keep track of this because inst- what they have done is they've done two they did two um, developments that are all part of the same, you know, same entity. And maybe one was 15 and one was, I don't think they've done 15 each time, but it's approximately 15. And now mm-hmm. they're, they're wanting to do a third set, which will result in a hotel type building, you know, or set of buildings destination. That's going to have four very cool wedding venue. Yeah. The question is, did the comprehensive plan say that that was what we were supposed to do with Linwood center is put a wedding venue there. It said that we were supposed Can to put housing there, peel it back. That's where it needs to be done. That's what I said to council the other night. If you want to change this, we have a comprehensive plan update coming up. Sell it to the community. Have a transparent conversation about the purposes of the neighborhood service center, and then and then amend the the comprehensive plan. Wow! But I don't think they're going to go for that. The council didn't do that. The council did a piecemeal approach. Yeah. So, do you see Island Center getting developed anytime soon? Not without sewer. I don't know how they could do what we're supposed to do with it. So, you know, the state has told us that we have got to figure out, even outside of that 
piece of legislation was talking about, which is insane, wanting to put development where there is no sewer. Um, we've been told you now you don't only have to take a certain number of people, but you need to have you need to provide the opportunity for there to be a certain number of of new units, like zoning for different income strata. And we know the only way you'll ever maybe get affordable housing will be like multifamily housing, like, you know, true apartment buildings or condominium buildings. Mm -hmm. The only places we can put those are in Winslow and might have been Linwood because of sewer. Without sewer, we can't do that. We can't put like a 30 room, I mean, 30 30 unit building in the middle of the island, nor would you want to. By pro build there, um, there's a low income housing project going in. What's it called? Wintergreen? Mm-hmm. Is that the correct term? Is there sewer there? Oh, yeah. There is? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I, I know they dug deep and put a lot of stuff under the ground. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't know if it was septic or sewer. Yeah. But it makes sense because there's so many commercial buildings around there. And that's why when you ask, what is Winslow going to look like, you know, down the line, it's got to be done, sir, because we've got to find a place to put multifamily housing, true multifamily housing. Okay. Y- your office is downtown mm-hmm. Winslow. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the density fitting in in Winslow? Well, I, well I, what we've asked for is help understanding where it can be tucked away and, and, and you know put in places where it doesn't have to overwhelm the feeling of our small town. So I don't want to use any street names or suggestions. For one thing, I'm not an expert, but I think that the community would like to be able to traverse Winslow, go to Winslow Way, and feel like I still live in a special small town place, but we're able to put density, we're able to put taller buildings larger buildings off, you know, in places, maybe along high school road in between high school road and Winslow places where we can, because of topography and distance to key roads and so forth, we can imagine something could fit without overwhelming. So certainly not a Winslow way, I would say it's really important. We protect that, that that's peace, that heart of the community. Mm -hmm. The old police station in the Mm -hmm. parking lot there. Yeah. What would you like to see happen there? I'm supportive of our plan to put affordable housing there. It's smart. It's right next to transit. It's right next to a lot of the jobs that we're trying to house people that, you know, we're trying to house the employees for. We know that our um, restaurants and retail um, businesses are having a really hard time and have for some time staffing. And our swimming pool at the Burke, uh, there's only like three days it's open, eight to 11 in the summertime because they can't find a lifeguard. Come on. Oh, we see this all over the place. Let's go, people. Yep. So people could live there without cars. They could walk to the seniors could live there and walk to most things. I mean, it's, it would be, it's a great place for affordable housing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Hey, you got a little announcement from May 1st that you want to say? Oh yeah. Well today it's official because this is when they actually let you, they put it up on the website, but yeah, I am running again. And so I, I, I filed on May 1st by mail, but it's up on, they put up today the filings and I'm up there. So your first term, did you do four years? Yep. Mm-hmm. And this time you're doing, you've done... Four years. Yeah. Four. So you're going to go for another four? Yes, I'm, I'm crazy, aren't I? <laughs> no, I think, I think I, you're pretty civil. I was going to say, I, I, didn't, I really didn't think I would do it. I really didn't. But it is the things I'm talking about that I feel are really difficult to solve. You know, how we deal with these mandates from the state that are infeasible for the island, how we deal with affordable housing, good planning. And I think we need experienced people. Mm-hmm. Have a deep knowledge of the issues, so that's why. Anybody to do. out there you would like to see run as well? Um. Well, I think anybody should run who wants to run. I think there is somebody no, running no, in no, every seat. There's some seat. people that shouldn't run. Well, 
I wouldn't. I, the, somebody is running for each of the seats, so I would feel bad about saying that anybody should run against anybody else. But um, I know that Leslie Snyder is running for her position. Brenda's running for her position. Um, Ashley Matthews just came Matthews out. Ashley Matthews is running show. for Michael's position. It's my understanding he won't be running. So there you go. Um, that's great. Well, Kirsten, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you talking to me. Sure. It's good to sit down for an hour and actually get to know you better. Yeah, I'm happy, happy for the invite. All right. Thank you. Well, good luck with the city of Bainbridge Island and your re-election campaign and putting up with all the knuckleheads that come your way. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.